Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation Point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. How are you doing tonight? I am doing absolutely great. How about you? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. All right. Yeehaw. 
having a really good time calling all of the presenters for the Hypericum Conference. Last year, this time, we were getting ready for the Comfrey Conference, the first virtual conference that I had ever put on and a dream come true to uh, say, really, there is nothing to be frightened about with Comfrey. And although, you know, we searched far and wide and invited people to tell us, you know, horrible things about Comfrey, as we saw in the conference, that simply wasn't so. And so this year, and I called it, you know, a Comfrey conference time to end the fear. This year, this May, we're focusing on Hypericum Perforatum St. John's Wort, St. Joan's Wort. Uh, it's time to end the nonsense. It's just, you know, if one more newsletter or health thing comes to me say, saying, avoid Hypericum, Oh. It's it's um, gathered even more people who want to talk about how they use it. There are 21 presenters, so we've expanded the virtual conference, since we don't have to rent a space, to 10 days. So it's May 1st through 10th. And registration will soon be open. After I have talked to all the presenters, we'll have a schedule. But I think... We might even open a registration before we have a schedule. We're, you know, we're seeing about that. And from whenever we open up registration, it'll be very soon, until March 15th, midnight March 15th, it's going to be free. So you register, and then you will get told as we near May 1st, how to get into the conference, and that's it, you're in. From March 15th until May 1st, it's going to be half price. Actually, not May 1st, May 5th, midnight May 5th. From March 15th to midnight May 5th, it's half price. Mm. And the price will be $99. So it'll be $49.50. And as of May 6th, halfway through the conference, it will be $99. So it's there for anybody who takes the time to go and register. And I hope you do. And we'll keep talking to you hear about um, that and of course if you're on the newsletter list uh, as you could have probably noticed Justine has taken the helm of the newsletter and so now they are actually coming out every week as she says in her introduction for a while there and they weren't but Mm. Justine is back in the let's get them out there every week and they're uh, having a really good time doing a beautiful job of it too so you've been um emailing a lot of the presenters too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's like ever since New Year's it's really like feed has I don't know, what would you say? Triple times, quadruple times? I mean maybe more than that. Just it's in full speed ahead mode, I'll say that. Yeah. Yeah. It was you know, it was kind of there and it was there and we had I we put a lot of energy into it last summer. 
because that's when you could actually, you know, do things. One of the thrills that I've been having calling all of the presenters is really hearing about their workshops. And Linda Conroy Mm. did a a two-part presentation. And the first part she did last summer at one of her favorite places where she's been harvesting hypericum for 30 years. Oh, how precious. Wow. And then the second part, she's in her lab, her pharmacy, her kitchen, making remedies. Mm. So people have, you know, already made their videos last summer. A few haven't who are... uh, don't feel that it's important to be outside with a plan. I've talked to Althea today, Althea Orr, and she's um, she has a lot of clinical herbalism. So uh, you know, she's a will be a beautiful presentation, but but she won't be in the field with hypericum, and that's okay because we have lots of presenters who will be. So um, what else? Oh, just so many people. Um, I don't know if you remember last year at the Comfrey Conference, there was a woman who did a whole series of shorts who lives in Spain, and she was dying with Comfrey. Mm-hmm. And this year, she asked to be a presenter. And she's going to be presenting about Hypericum and the lore and the uses of Hypericum in Spain. And, of course, because she's a dyer, she's going to show us various samples of dying with Hypericum. Yay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so I think that it's going to be, um, it, that it will end the nonsense that we will. Astrid, of course, will be with us again. Astrid Grove, who uses hypericum in pregnancy. I've said it before, and I should check to see that it's still true, uh, because my information could be dated. But it used to be. Um, when I was actively teaching in Germany, that midwives who even so much as suggested that a woman put, for instance, hypericum oil on a sore nipple um, could lose their license. Wow. Because it was thought to be such a, it's thought to be such a dangerous herb. Wow. I know. Mm. One of our presenters is going to really speak directly to that issue, Dr. Ian Spode. And he is going to talk about how it is that people have gotten the information right and the inference wrong. And the information is that hypericum increases your liver's ability to get rid of bad things. And it is this exact thing that it makes it, it makes hypericum illegal in France because the drug industry says, well, then it's going to ruin our drugs. The drugs aren't going to work if hypericum is increasing the efficiency of the liver's ability to get rid of our drugs. Mm. So he is going to talk about, and interestingly enough, Quite a few of the presenters, but this has just casually come up in conversation, who are using hypericum with drugs. Um, So, yeah, so then you can give the drug more frequently. You can adjust the dose of the drug. 
And I found it very interesting, um, the way that people who work with Hypericum don't react by fending off, but say, oh, this is an interesting thing that it does. How do we work that in? Hmm. Anything uh, working or happening on your farm? Oh, we nothing like in particular that's special. It's been so pleasant uh, the last couple of days. It's been warm and sunny and just feels like we have a second spring happening here or I don't know a first spring an early spring that's going to probably turn to winter but just the craziest weather I took a walk today with like a windbreaker on and just basked in the sunshine so that was an extra special treat yeah (laughs) farmer John said I must have become Rip Van Winkle I went to sleep and when I woke up it was spring yeah Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's um yes, today really here felt that way. So it's awesome that he got that there too. <laughs> oh my god. Living as we do in the shadow of the uh, the hollows where Rip heard the the playing of nine pins. We definitely feel that that kind of spirit. Uh, my mm. my beloved sister Eagle Song lives in different mountains. These mountains are old and they make you fall asleep. And the mountains she lives in, out on the west coast, are young teenage mountains, and they're all about getting into trouble and blowing off steam out there. So she, she her mountains are quite different. She's not going to talk to us tonight about mountains though. She's probably going to talk to us about the most important thing in her life, which is Hawthorne. And, you know, if there's any other things that are interesting, I'm sure she'll share those. But I know that she's just back from a trip to Mexico, where she was tracking down Crataegus Mexicana. Because there are hundreds of species. In the books, it says Crataegus oxycantha, and so that was the only one um, that is medicinal. In fact, they're all medicinal, and um, they can be quite varied. They're, the haw, of course, is a little apple, like a little crab apple. It's in the same family, and some of them can be as big or bigger than crab apples, and some of them can be really small, like the same thing with rose hips, right? Mhm, mhm. You go from like the big rugosa rose hip to the little wild rose rose hip, which is just laid up a little thin skin around the seeds. Yeah, yeah, almost like a little bigger than an elderberry. Right. <laughs> mm. So stay with us until nine o'clock, or come back at nine o'clock. That's East Coast time, and you will hear Eagle Song talking about Hawthorne, the herb for the aging heart. 
I've been reading Barbara Ehrenreich's book, not so new anymore, four or five years old now, called um, Natural Causes. Natural Causes? Natural Causes. Okay. And I have done my best to read everything that Barbara Ehrenreich has written. She's penetrating and really keen insight into uh, um, the institutions. The book before this was Nickeled and Dimed, in which she went to um, five different places to um, get a job, rent a place to live, uh, get electricity and utilities, and she had a certain fixed amount of money that she had at each place. I think it was like $1,000. Yeah, yeah, quite interesting to see what happened in her life. It tells us a lot about what we think about poverty and what poverty, how poverty really goes. Very different. Mm. Yeah. So, Natural Causes starts with her talking about how she realized that she was old enough to die. And what a freedom that was. Mm -hmm. And how free she felt to say, no, I don't want that mammogram. And the furor that that caused, and being Barbara Ehrenreich, what she did was to say, okay, well, show me the studies that prove that having a mammogram is something that's in my best interest for my health. And guess what? She found out the same thing I found out when I asked for those. There weren't. We can't reliably say, as is said, that any woman's life has been saved by a mammogram. And what we can reliably say is that hundreds of thousands of women have been overtreated and mistreated. One of the things that I said in my book, Breast Cancer, Breast Health, Wise Woman Way, was that ductal carcinoma in C2 isn't actually breast cancer. And I, I was excoriated by women. There were... Um, kind of famous breast cancer survivors who really badmouthed my book because of it. And yet that is where the medical, the medical establishment now stands, is that that isn't really cancer. And women were very much overtreated yeah. in terms of that. So I am really interested to see where Barbara Erin Reich is going to take me um, in her I am ready to die. I'm old enough to die. Not that she's giving up in any way. Not that she's giving in, but she doesn't need, she says, to focus on things that aren't happening. It's better for her to enjoy the moment and to eat a good meal. I love that. That's so beautiful. So wise. So many ways. Yeah. Love that. Do 
we have anybody with any questions tonight? We do have a hand raised, and I will remind everyone listening that if you have a question and would like to speak live with Susan this evening, uh, please press one so that we can see your hand go up in the queue. And um, we have two listeners that have pressed one. The first is dialed in from the 831831. Hello, 831. You are live and on the air. Hello. Hey, is this me? It's you. Hi, hi. Oh, hello. Hello, Susan. Um, I, I was from the Redwoods. How are you? I'm doing really well today. I didn't hear who you said it was. Uh, Josh from the Redwoods. Josh from the Redwoods. Thank you, Josh from the Redwoods. Yeah, I'm calling about my son. Um, he's had tummy problems off and on since he was a baby. He's just got a sensitive gut. And um, lately we've been having a problem where he'll wake up in the middle of the night just like screaming in pain. Um, and it, it's like very acute. It'll come on real strong. And I'll rub his tummy for a while, and then it'll go away. And we were also noticing that he was eating a lot. We weren't uh, keeping up as much on, you know, making good food, like oatmeal and cooked foods, and using more snacks and, you know, treats Christmas time and everything. So we've kind of stopped. We've tried to bring more nourishing foods in, and I try to bring more Lipa. That's what we, uh, sorry, Linden, in. But I'm, I'm kind of at a loss of, of what to try next or what to think about next. Marshmallow fennel licorice, ah, okay. which I don't like much, but sometimes in a situation where the gut is very, very sensitive, licorice is a heavy-duty calmer of that. I like marshmallow because it's so bland and easy. Okay, and, I might need um, to get some more in the marshmallow. And your your son's how old now? Four. Four. So, yeah. at the drugstore, there are heat patches. Do you know what uh-huh. I'm talking about? Yeah, you like shake them up. Yeah. Put them on there. Yeah. Okay. He's old enough to do that, right? Yeah, yeah. He could do. He could have one of those by his bed, and if he woke up with pain, he could shake it and he could put it on his stomach. One of the things going on at four years old is this very strong drive to do it myself. I'm sure you've noticed. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> so any remedy that we can make available so that he can do it himself, if the heat is easing it, that's an easy way for him to safely apply that heat. Okay. Right there at his bedside. That's not to say that he couldn't call you or do anything else he wants, but he also has it in his power to take care of it. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, after they tossed my guts and then threw them back in my body, fennel seed tea yeah. was real savior for me. I always kept a jar of fennel seed tea. I just put a tablespoon of fennel seed into a teapot full of hot water and let it brew for less than 10 minutes, poured off the jar and kept it in the refrigerator, just like cold beverages, and then sipped it whenever I felt, you know, that, like, pain in your gut from the gas. That's helpful. Yeah, because I've been going towards mint teas mostly, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's quite an involved process to get to the point of like having a stomach ache to having a drinkable tea. Exactly. By the time I get it done, you know, it's, it's either passed or. Yeah. So having this, just having the fennel on the hand. In India, they also use messy, which is fenugreek. Mm. Which also, you know, has the ability to ease and really fast. And the fenugreek, being as it's in a different plant family, um, also acts a little differently and can be a little more soothing. The fennel and the seeds from that family, caraway and cumin, right, and coriander and anise and celery, those are all from the same family. They can actually um, um, while they relieve gas pain, they can also increase the sensitivity of the gut. Mm. So you have to kind of feel into how that works with the individual person. So in a situation where the gut is being sensitized, like someone's being given morphine, those seeds work really, really well because we want to increase the sensitivity for them. Mm. And that allows them to have more normal bowel function. And it might be that increasing sensitivity for your son has a benefit. It's hard to know, and until we make okay, so much, so much no fun to see how we individually relate to the herbs. Hmm. So, with the linden, are you rebrewing the linden? Yes, I make sure to because we go through a lot. I mean, of the Thai infusions, that's the one my family drinks the most of because yeah, everybody really else nice. but me loves that one the most. <laughs> right, and it's a little more expensive, unfortunately. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. We call it Lipa, which is the name for it in my wife's language. Lipa. Uh, yeah, I thought it was a pretty name for the linden tree, Lipa. A very, very pretty name. How nice. Yeah. My son calls every infusion Lipa, as a matter of fact. <laughs> okay, why not? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and my daughter's um, doing really well. Um, she's the one that was on the bottle of uh, goat or cow's milk, half and half with infusion. Uh-huh. 
And she's still our little Amazon baby. Oh. Real strong and healthy. Oh, In the good. 90th percentile. Yes. Yeah, really oh, yay, nurture beliefs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we've been pelted by storms here. Uh, I don't know if you've seen anything, but um, the Santa Cruz Mountains has been getting record storms like Santa Cruz itself is flooding in parts. And we're lucky we're high and dry up in our treehouse here. Oh, I'm so glad you are. On the mountain. Yes. Oof. Yeah. That coast is melting back into the sea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we're off grid to begin with, at least uh, energy-wise. So having no power is normal for us. We're still living out of an ice chest like we normally do. Got it. <laughs> well, green blessings. Thank you for your time. Green blessings. Thanks for your question. Good night. All right. We have two callers. Press one to let us know they've got a question. And the next one has dialed in from the 908. From the 908, you are live with Susan. Hello? Hello, Susan? Hi. Carol from New Jersey. Hi, Carol. Hi, beautiful. Mm, Wonderful to hear your voice every Tuesday. Love it. Ah, and yours, whenever you call, so wonderful to hear you. Oh, so appreciate you. Um, so, um, one thing: are are you going to be teaching at any conf- other than, of course, the Hypericum coming up? That spectacular event you're creating. Are you teaching anywhere else, um, especially locally? Are you lecturing anywhere else? I'm going to be at the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference, which isn't so local; it's in Wisconsin. And then, as always, I will be having workshops here um, in Woodstock, which is fairly local to New Jersey. Yes, of course. We get lots of people from New Jersey who come up. Yes. And any other conferences? You know, there's not a lot of conferences going on. I know, I know. Yeah. And I, I... I'm more interested in limiting my flying than unlimiting it. Yes. Mhm. So I'm being pretty selective about, you know, when I'm willing to get into an airplane. Oh, yes. Correct. Um you remember so, that to get on the airplane, I have to get into a compression garment that is so tight that the first time uh, I put it on, I thought I should call 911 and get the firefighters uh, to help me. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> but it works. It definitely works. You know, when I got off the plane last May in Wisconsin, I could hardly walk. But when oh, I took a flight all the way out to California this November uh, for Monica Jean's 15th birthday, um, uh, and wore this garment, this compression garment, I was able to walk. As a matter of fact, we went on a hike that day. Ha! Ah. Boy. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So what's what's going on with you? Yeah. Okay. couple things. One, the um, just 
I had an ingrown toenail removed on the big toe, and um, it was starting to get red and inflamed around it. And um, so I remember you speaking um, last week about echinacea. So I started taking the echinacea tincture often, like you said, and to keep on. And it, it seems to be uh, helping it a lot. And so I, I don't feel like it, it's infected, but, um, yeah, that was great. Um, when and of how do you keep your toe healthy so it doesn't get another ingrown toenail or whatever? I go barefoot most of the time. Right. And it really isn't that hard. Many times people can go barefoot in their houses. That's very okay. easy. And it helps your toes to spread out. Modern shoes uh-huh. keep the yeah. toes pushed together. Mm-hmm. And the toes... Or it's like if you always had your fingers so that they couldn't spread out, right? No. Mm-hmm. Not that you're walking around with your fingers spread out, but you want to be able to do that. And as you do that, then the relationship of the growth of the toenail to your foot becomes, I'm going to say, more more harmonious. Oh, wow. It's like the toenail... My sense of an ingrown toenail is that the toenail is doing its best to protect. It's like going to dig in and really protect you. Mm. And that it's the the constant pressure of shoes and socks that's Mm. making it think that it has to protect, right? Okay. I, the books say, cut your toenail square across. Yes. So that, you, so that it d- doesn't have an opportunity to get in there. I know that it is a common complaint of modern people. Mm. Which is why I'm linking it to shoes and socks. Yes, yes. Right. And then beyond that, you know, when I was doing the work with Jean Houston, her husband, Bob Masters, um, led us every day in what we all considered kind of strange exercises, although many of them turned out to be Feldenkrais exercises or Alexander Uh exercises. And a very notable one, which to this day I still fiddle with, although not as intently as I did then, was the quest to move each toe independently. Oh. Right? So even if you just spend a minute or two 
each day, right? Just, okay, well, we can all usually pick up the big toe, and then the one after that, yeah, well, the others start to come with it, and the third, oh, you can hardly feel the third one, and then that one, and the little one. Most people can get the little one up. And what he said was that each one of the toes triggers a different area of your brain. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, and he considered it one of the best exercises for keeping your brain sharp. Wow. So how about that? Yeah, that's amazing. Wonderful. Yeah. I was also thinking of putting yarrow on it. I think that's a grand yeah. idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, grand. Mm-hmm. I thought so. Mm-hmm. Or so- soaking it. Soaking is always good. Soaking in mm-hmm. in, yes. in Epsom salts or what would be? Yeah, any kind of water you want to. Just plain oh, okay. hot water. Water with Epsom okay. salt. Water with regular salt. Water yeah. with oh, nurses love, uh, what is it, ivory detergent as a soak. Oh. Oh. That's nice. Seaweed, yeah. you know, whatever. <laughs> it's comfrey. Oh, yeah, right, comfrey. Right? And it's Excellent. generally kind of easy to soak your feet. Yes. So, yes. It's not like trying to soak your elbow. Right. Which is a pain in the elbow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then keep on with the echinacea for at least, what, two weeks, three weeks? Whatever you, whatever your body okay. wants, okay. whatever you feel good about. Is it uh-huh. still red? Um, it's, no, it's softened down from being red. I'm so glad. Thank you... You can start reducing the amount of echinacea right away. You don't need to okay. take it beyond signs of infection. Okay, very good. All very right. good. And I'm so happy to have that, um, you know, to be able to take that. And I appreciated last week when you spoke about making your own echinacea. You went through that and... Um, that process and to have it on board like you do, you you keep it. And um, when you right. spoke, yeah, when you spoke of it for yourself, you said that I think I heard you say feeling something of COVID yourself, and that's why you took it. Was that why you no. took the? No, nope. no, no, nope. not at all. No, I said that I. Um, first of all. When I was in the hospital, right after the surgery, they had me on IV antibiotics. Right. And then they discharged me from the hospital, and I said, oh, I see you haven't prescribed any antibiotics. And they said, no, you're on your own. I said, okay. If I'm on my own, that means echinacea for me. Oh, yeah. Right? I'm not going to go from IV antibiotics to nothing. They said, oh, most people like to come back in the hospital. I'm like, well, I'm sure this is one of the reasons because you set them loose with nothing to protect them from infection. Um, So I was using echinacea um, in that situation, and I was taking a dose generally three times a day. Uh Uh-huh. And as... Um, everything seemed to stabilize. I stopped 
taking that. It was a fairly long period, but not overly long. And then um, when it became clear that we were really were only going to make little bits of progress in healing my unhealable wound, um, mm. my backside, I said, well, it's just going to have to like shape up and be part of me. I'm not going to go through this bandage routine with it. So rather than put a bandage on what really basically is an open, oozing, and sometimes bleeding wound, um, I take a little Mm. echinacea in the morning. Oh, okay. So I am taking that um, with the intention of making sure that there are plenty of macrophages, there are plenty of white blood cells that look for bacteria and eat it. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that if any bacteria is trying to get into my body through that open wound, there will be plenty of ma- mm-hmm. macrophages to dine upon them. Wonderful. <laughs> 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 now, I did test positive for COVID. Michael was in a Shakespeare play, Midsummer Night Dream, in fact. And the director brought COVID to the entire cast. Matter of fact, they had to close oh. the theater. And, of course, every cast member's family as well um, got it. And I took echinacea as well as bone set. Oh, yes. Certainly during the time when I had symptoms, which was about 36 36 hours. And then because the CDC said that I was likely to have live antibodies for at least 90 days afterwards, I decided that my personal way of avoiding long COVID, which is actually more prevalent in people who are less sick, as I was, was to continue to take the bone set and the echinacea for those 90 days. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And since I generally have enough on hand and I just take one dose of echinacea. It's not like I'm taking it, taking it, taking it. Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I have have a few tinctures that I take in the morning. I take my three red girls, Crataegus, Shisandra, Hypericum, And they're each a different shade of red. So lovely. (laughs) Red girls. My three red girls. (laughs) What's the third, Susan? Crataegus, Hawthorne, Shisandra, the five-flavor berry, and Hypericum. Ah, perfect. Yes. Okay, perfect. The three red girls. Excellent. Um, and may I ask you um, what sort of interesting things you're doing now? Because I'm always so interested in what you're doing in the food department, if there's time. Just touch. How are we doing on hands raised, Sarah? Yes, go ahead. Right. Uh, we have one other hand that is raised at this time. Okay, so I can talk a little bit longer. Okay, thank you. We are eating a lot of the effort that we put into the freezer. Ah, 
What? Right. I'm, ha- I'm eating the peaches that I froze. We're eating. Mm, we, tonight we had Swiss chard that we froze. Last night oh. we had amaranth that we froze. We have the kale and collards and mm. beet greens and lamb's quarters in the freezer. And we have tomatoes in the freezer. And we have baby goat in the freezer. So we are eating out of the freezer during the cold months when everything's frozen outside. We wow. eat the summer that we put in the freezer back then so that we have it now. And it's a lot of fun to to shop through there and say, yeah. oh, look at this. Oh, do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, our local supermarket had um, organic grass-fed ground beef on sale for $6 a pound. Oh, okay. Organic grass-fed ground beef. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Mm. we went and got some of that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We're going to eat some of that. That's right here saying, come and get me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm so I am and I am so glad to see that that more and more in fact the um local supermarket which is a big chain supermarket we're not talking some some you know small um thing a regular big chain supermarket is really pushing organic and giving you you know three times the, the points if you buy organic I'm like wow yeah and having big sales on the organic stuff I'm like okay nice. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's not that they don't have sales on the, you know, standard American diet stuff, too. I just pretty much ignore that. But I do notice they also provide sales on real food as well. Nice. Yeah. Blessing. Blessing. Blessings. Always good to talk to you. Thanks for your question. Thank you, and I love you so much, and thank you for every every word you there and I just admire your 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 brain and your wisdom and oh yeah people ask you something and on the spot you don't have a book in front of you and you just give them beautiful answers so thank you for you you are welcome green blessings good night all right and I'll remind everyone listening if you've got a question and would like to speak live with Susan this evening Please press 1 so that we can see your hand go up in the queue. Uh, there is one caller that has, uh, excuse me, two callers that have pressed 1. And the next is dialed in from the 401 area code. From the 401, you are. Hi, Susan. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, what's up? I'm calling because I have what I believe to be a ganglion cyst in my foot. Um and uh, probably maybe 10 years ago, I think I, I had an x-ray done, and at that point they said we can do surgery or we can just you can just watch it. Um, and I never did the surgery, obviously. So um, And it's come and gone before, and I kind of, <laughs> because it's come and gone, I haven't paid too much mind to it, but it's back and it's painful, and it could be from new boots that I got. Um, but I looked up briefly um, some information on your page about cysts, and I, I did read about um, uh, chickweed and 
Um, but I have a, a fellow uh, herbalist friend who he swears by DMSO and, um, you know, he's suggesting maybe mixing chickweed with DMSO and applying it topically. Um, so it's kind of a two-part question. What do you recommend for the cyst and what are your thoughts on DMSO? I've never used it. I, I mean, I know it's a solvent and then it will drive in whatever so, you put on your skin. So, but. First, let me say that I failed Consumerism 101. I generally don't buy manufactured products. Okay. But, so, any manufactured product that you ask me about, I'm pretty much going to give you the same answer, which is, can you make it in your kitchen? If you can't make it in your kitchen, do you really need it? Yeah, that's why I haven't ever really migrated but, towards it. So perhaps okay. he has a vet who has access to it. And um, mm. I find that um, boys tend to um, like flash a lot. And if it makes it faster or deeper or stronger... Um, that's going to be exactly what they want, whereas girls tend um, to not find that so terribly important. Now, let's talk about chickweed a little bit. Chickweed is really excellent at dissolving cysts internally in soft tissue. Okay. Cysts in the ovaries, cysts in the breast. Mm-hmm. I don't think that this is that kind of cyst. Right. So there's a class of herbs or an action of herbs um, which is discutient, which means softening and removing through that softening process. Mm-hmm. And the primary discutient herbs are violet leaf, comfrey leaf, and red clover. And I'm swimming in violet leaves. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I there we go. Like they own the place. But yes, but great. Go ahead. There you will. There. I don't need to go any further. I was going to say violet leaves do need to be used fresh, and you generally need to have a good supply of them. But if you live someplace where where there's violets, you may have a very good supply of them. Yeah, I'm. I mean, it's winter. I'm in Rhode Island, so it's. I have to really go out and see what I have. It's been kind of warm. Yeah, you have so right now, exactly. Yeah. And so then, comfrey can be used fresh or dried. I have that too. And you probably oh. have that as well. So that's pretty easy to mm-hmm. use. And, and I, red clover, which you probably have on hand. I do for my infusion. So I have all three of those. Um, yeah. So, so mess around a little bit and see if one of them really strikes you as the one that you are going to be successful with. Hmm. I have and seen numerous people dissolve what I would call an external cyst. In other words, a cyst that's kind of right under the skin that you can pretty easily see. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. This is using comfrey. Okay. Topically or... Um, uh, all of them are used topically as a poultice, as a fomentation, okay. right, as okay. a soak. It's okay. on your foot, so a soak would yep. work out pretty easily. Mm-hmm. And you could even use the comfrey left over from the infusion, the red clover left over from the infusion as poultice. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. Double duty. Exactly. Okay. Now, taking them internally, does that help additionally or or just in the way that they normally do as far as nourishment goes? Um, Just in the way that uh, nourishing you. Generally, these kinds of cysts don't arise because of something internal that's happening. Mm, you yourself okay. said it was probably triggered by an external force, a boot. Right, right, right. Right? Yeah. So it's not like right. there's some hidden internal cause that's making this happen. Right, right. Yeah, because yeah, it did. This. Yeah, it's a with, with new boot external hands. swelling, and we're going to apply external things to it to reduce mm-hmm. the swelling and Make it go away again. Right. So that it doesn't hurt you. Yeah. Great. Um, all right. I have everything and it sounds I need. Like, it sounds like you have helpers in the background who can help you yes. poultice your foot. <laughs> I and, you know, they'd love to play <laughs> with on your foot. Yes. I've been telling him I'm... I'm putting him to bed, and I'm saying, I'm sorry, I have to call Susan Weed. He's like, okay, focus, focus, Mom, focus on the call. So now he has a job that's yes. to help you, to help you poultice it. <laughs> okay, good. Okay. So All right. Thanks okay. for your question. Good luck. Good night. All right. And the next caller that has pressed one to let us know they've got a question has dialed in from the 217 area from the 217, you are live with Susan. Hello, in the 217? Hello. Hello? Let's see, what was the song that they used to sing it to? Kinder music, some kind of hello song. In the 217, you're alive with Susan. In the 217, hello. Yes. When we're hearing hello, is that someone from the 217? If so, please say something other than hello. Okay. Is there another caller? All right. I do not see another caller. That was so interesting. I'm not sure who else that would have been other than the 217, but all we get is a hello. Or all we got was hello. That's okay. They can call back if they decide they want to play. Any email? Um, We do not have an email question this evening. I'll encourage everyone, if you've got an email question and can't call in live and you're listening to the replay, um, it's a new year, and we're looking for new questions. So we do have a caller, though, now that has dialed in. Are you? Can we go to that question? Absolutely. Let's go to that caller. All right. From the 516, 
You are live with Susan from the 516. Hi, Susan. It's Kimberly. How are you doing? Happy New Year. Hey, Casey. I'm doing swell. How about you? I'm doing really good, thanks. So um, so I had um, an ultrasound. I've been um, working with a naturopathic doctor about the, uh, the thyroid and the hormones and the endocrine and all that stuff, and I'm doing lots of tests and so on. And um, one of the tests was an uh, ultrasound of the thyroid and the abdomen. I'm going in for um, a, a di- another ultrasound tomorrow. Uh, that's a different thing. But anyway, um, so thyroid was fine. Everything was fine. But surprisingly, they found a bunch of gallstones and gallbladder polyps. So I wanted to pick your brain a little bit about those. I, I'm sure it's related to the liver. And uh, so obviously need to be nourishing the liver a bit more, but I just um, was curious uh, what might be used to dissolve gallstones and if there's something that can be done or if I should be concerned about these uh, several large polyps in the gallbladder. One of the primary reasons that I tell people to stay away from doctors is this. And we were, I was talking earlier about reading Barbara Ehrenreich's book, and she talks about this at length, that basically tests are a cash cow for the practitioner. Well, I asked her to check out the thyroid because I felt like it was enlarged. So, <laughs> In I understand. Yeah, yeah. I understand, but... Checking out the thyroid doesn't include your gallbladder. Well, right, but because of my history of liver disease, she wanted to have a look there as well. I see. Well, then you didn't ask her to do that, did you? She decided that she wanted to. We we sort of decided together. She's not a pushy one. I She's understand, but I, I, do you have any symptoms of these gallstones? You said you were surprised. Yeah, I I don't really have any symptoms. And um, why do we need to do anything at all about it? Okay, well, I've, that's that's because she wanted to satisfy her curiosity. Now you are committed to doing something about something that doesn't distress you in any way at all. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. Okay, duck in a box. I got it. I got it. Stay away from doctors and tests. (laughs) Well, I am doing tomorrow. You don't need need an image to look at the thyroid. In fact, when thyroid imaging really took off, thyroid surgery skyrocketed. In Korea, 90% of the people whose thyroids were removed didn't need to have their thyroid removed. In the United States, it was only 70% of the people. Right. Yeah, I'm because they could see the thyroid, and they could see that there were little polyps and little things in there, so they took them away, which means that the person has to take thyroid hormone forever. And Barbara goes on to say, and it doesn't work for some people, leaving them habitually low thyroid dragging around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And why did they do it? Because 
there was a test. There was an imaging to see how your thyroid was, and the doctor was curious. And made the, other, made the person either feel curious or, more likely, feel afraid. Well, with your history of, we really should... The tests generally are not going to find hidden things that are really having an impact on your health. Okay, so let me ask a question because I'm getting ready to go for tomorrow for um, a, a pelvic and transvaginal ultrasound that I requested. So let me tell let me tell you why I requested it, and you tell me if this is not if this is a bad strategy. Mm-hmm. So. You- you know, my mom died of colon cancer, right? Yes. Um, so, and my grandmother had colon cancer. And so I've done the little, you know, uh, poop in a tube thing and mail it back. Everything looks fine. Everything's fine. Um, and I don't, but I, right now I'm having discomfort in my left lower, um, like, um, I don't know what's down there, but I have discomfort there. It's not really pain, but it's like, um, like, you know, when I reach in a certain way, it, it feels like, uh, like it's, you know, something's there and, like, stuck there or something. And um, because I, you know, my mom was given the DES and, you know, all these other risks, I booked a, um, a, um, a, a you know, a, a gynecologist, but I couldn't get in until April, <laughs> okay? And so um, because I really do need to have those I think I need to have those tests for the clear cell adenocarcinoma and some other things through pap smears. So, so years and years and years and years ago, I, I had... Just, just, just for a second, I think it might be that you have aged out on that. Aged out on what? Those tests. That they're not that useful after a certain age. Okay, so not really something to worry about, but I did have endometriosis many, 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 many years ago, uh, like decades ago, mm-hmm. and I'm feeling like it might be something like that, um, but I don't know, and so that's why I wanted to just get an ultrasound done to see what was going on, because I'm having this discomfort, and um you know, it's unusual, and I'm not getting any signals. You know, like at first I thought, well, you know, maybe it's, you know, the colon. But I don't have any symptoms related to, like, the colon. Um, of course, Mom didn't have any symptoms either. Um, but, you know, so I don't know. Maybe I'm just, like, <laughs> maybe it's another duck in the bottle. But Well, I, I hear don't... that you are concerned that you might have colon cancer. And that you have uh, done a fecal occult blood test that has not shown any blood. And that you're thinking that an ultrasound might show something. And from what I know about ultrasound, it's unlikely that it will show what you want to see, the part of your body that you want to see. If 
unless you are willing to drink some kind of opaque dye. No, I'm not doing that. Right. In order to get an image of the intestines, we have to put dye in them. Right. Well, and I remember from, if, you know... And if you're not going to do that, then the ultrasound isn't going to show you what you really want to see, which is your intestines. It's going to show you the, you know, your uterus, which is a big muscle. So it shows up. We don't have to, like, opaque it. Well, I... Right. And I'm wondering... Um, What it would be like for you if you made a ritual of doing your own interior ultrasound rather than going out and having the ritual of doing it with the machines that you do it for yourself that you take the same time that you would have taken, which would be hours. You'd have to get in your car. You'd have to wait. You'd have to do the test. You'd have to come back. So if you could even set aside a full hour to totally not do anything except a ritual of openness, questioning, curiosity, What is going on? I am feeling some distress here. Is there something that I need to be alert to? Or is this just ordinary life hurts? It's important to know the difference without a doubt. But you're not going to find out whether or not you have colon cancer from an ultrasound. Right. Well, and I guess, um, you know, I and I remember, you know, you've been teaching for a long time. Never, you know, ne- never do a test unless you're prepared to do something based on the results. <laughs> right. Makes so, sense, right? Right. It, it totally makes sense. Um, um yeah. Mm. Mm. On the other hand, you know, I, it's not like this discomfort just started. And it's not the colon cancer that I'm necessarily concerned about. I just don't know what this discomfort is. And I don't know if it's, you know, you know, around the ovaries, you know, or one of my uteruses or something like that, you know. That's why I'm suggesting you, instead of going to the medical altar, go to your own altar. You have the best diagnostic tools, which is your own body. And your body will tell you what is going on and what is needed. It won't tell it to you in medical terms. It might tell it to you in symbolic terms or evocative terms or emotional terms. But if you will give yourself the same time that you would give to this procedure, you will get 
better and better quality information. Got it. Well, because, you know, even if, like, honestly, even if I were to get some sort of medical diagnosis of something, I don't believe that I would do the same, (laughs) you know, what they would tell me. So, yeah, I I hear you. Yeah, you're right. Um, My inner healer knows a lot more about my body. Then, then, Then their tests do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank and, you. I appreciate you. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's very interesting. Um, and I looked at, at uh, you know, reading this book by Barbara Ehrenreich. And I said, how did you How did you manage to publish abundantly well without mentioning this book? And I said, Oh, I think it's published in like 2019. I'm like, okay, this abundantly well came out. So no wonder I didn't know about it. But basically, she she has, through a whole other chain of investigation and totally other resources, come to almost the exact same conclusions that I have come to, which is mm-hmm. you want to be healthy, you want to live a long, healthy, vigorous life, stay away from doctors and stay away from tests and especially stay away from tests. If you're healthy, yeah, I hear that. She I talks that. about talks about big corporations which give their executives a test spa. They go away for three days and have this battery of twenty or twenty-four different tests. Look hard enough, you'll find something. <laughs> right? Look hard enough, and you will find that you got it. That's one of the things she says. <laughs> well, and, you know, I've, I've always, you know, I actually wrote my philosophy thesis on the medical industry being for profit. That's just a whole, that's really screwy. Um, uh, I think they should pay doctors based on how well their patients are. Watch how quickly it changes. <laughs> Wouldn't that be well, Except that <laughs> any parent would stomp on your toes. <laughs> because you cannot control the behavior of another human being. And health <laughs> depends on what you do. Uh, so that. if the doctor is going to be damned because somebody decides to smoke cigarettes, well, that's hardly fair now, is it? Yeah, I'll treat that. Uh, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and they're yeah, just, basically, they're just out there trying to stop up the consequences of people's bad choices. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, look. It's, you know, it's hard to believe at this point that people don't know they're making bad choices. Right. Well, you know, and the womb stealing for profit, you know, that goes on. And uh, I was just chatting with a woman that um, is in a, a friend of mine down here, and she was saying, oh, they were telling me I have this big fibroid and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, but the thing is, she's taking HRT. And I'm like, well, your 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 fibroid would dissolve if we just stopped taking this HRT. And why are you taking? Oh, it's okay. They're bioidentical. I'm like, oh my god. Uh oh, worst yet. Uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're just okay. Yeah, you're really like playing with it. <laughs> I know, right? Crazy stuff. But, mm. Well, anyway, that's that's pretty much my question, and I'll I'll clear the line because I know you probably have time for one more before your guest. So yes, well, I love you, love you. It's always a delight. To hear your voice. 
And I always envision you in perfect health. Aww. Hmm. Love you, Susan. Love you, too. <laughs> bye for now. Green blessings. Bye-bye. All right. And we've got two callers that have raised their hand. Looks like um, another call from the 217. Let's see if we can hear you from the 217. You are live with Susan. Hello. Hi. What's up tonight? Hi. Hi. Thank you. Yes, green blessings. Well, I have, I've been listening, listening, and I'm really interested in this discussion about tests, and I would love your perspective on testing for STDs if a woman has no symptoms but receives word from a former partner that they were unbeknownst to the woman um, with others during the time of their relationship. So is in that situation, so I I read your article today. I looked up um, vaginal distress part two. Mm-hmm. I'm actually not, ex- I'm not experiencing vaginal distress. I, I have no symptoms, but I like to just read, um, I just I like to just try and educate myself and I love your articles so that's where I'm at and I saw yes please that's a lot um, so um you don't have any symptoms I do not no and this was I'm how long ago uh, are you still in an active relationship with this person it sounds I am like the relationship is I over and that they got in touch it with is, you correct it was 13 years, um, and it ended, uh, the divorce was in April of this year, and um, I received an email afterwards. It was a bit like a confessional that gave me some more information about mm-hmm. some behaviors that I, weren't, I wasn't aware of. Mm-hmm. So we, I live in a rural area, and we have a new public health clinic. I'm thrilled. It's run by a nurse practitioner, a woman. And she's offering for low-income women uh, free STD, HIV, and PAP. Um, and I'm not one to really, you know, I, I do a lot of self-care and I, I exercise. I, you know, I, I use herbs and I, um, I you know, try to sleep well, hygiene, all of that. And um, uh-huh. I just wonder if so. This is this is, this a is slightly thing. different. This is a slightly different thing, right? Are these invasive okay. tests? Well, I asked, you know, do it not fast, or they huh. said it's just a rapid test, and I don't know really what that means. I, I really don't know what a rapid test means. Um, if that's blood or urine. Um, a rapid test for what? For this would Sexually be the first. diseases usually, yes. usually, especially if they're doing a pap smear, what that will mean mm-hmm. is... A speculum mm-hmm. and a swab from your cervix. Mm-hmm. So if you take your fingernail and put it in your cheek and kind of run it up and down a little bit, that's what it will be. It's like a little wooden paddle that scrapes a little tissue off the cervix. And that can be okay. looked at then for a variety of different organisms. Okay. Okay. So it's 
pretty non-invasive, and it's unlikely that there's going to be a false positive. So, in other words, this is not trustworthy and accurate. You know, let's decide whether or not you have cancer based on what we see in this mammogram. This is not. Let's decide whether or not you have cancer based on what this PSA score is. This is, let's see if there are any known disease-causing organisms in your vagina. Okay. Right? Okay. Okay. The likelihood Mm -hmm. that you got something from this person that you haven't had any symptoms from May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December. It's been nine months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it has. Yeah. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you want to support this woman and you want to say, hey, it's great that you're doing this free and I support you and here I am. You can do it to me. I'm all for it. Okay. I okay. think there's seriously a possibility that he passed an STD. Do you? Nah. Okay. Yeah. Or she, mm. or whoever it was. He. Yeah. I. Well. So. So I could do it. I. I think what I'm hearing is. I don't need to have a lot of anxiety. It's been nine months. I don't have any symptoms. It's probably yeah. going to be fine. I may have yeah. to, there may be some slight discomfort with the speculum um, and the swab, but, you know, that, that'll that be just information for me to come away with. Um, and and then I can just go on living my life, <laughs> Exactly. Um, oh, good. Okay. Yeah, totally. Okay. okay. And you have made a nice relationship with this woman who's offering such wonderful services to your rural community. Hooray for her. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I Okay. Okay. Yeah, and then I can, um, then I'll have a face to a name with her and I'll have established contact and, um, and then if down the road I ever need... Well, she yes. did say she wants to start getting me regular uh, PAPs, so that's maybe, you know, a reason to uh, establish a connection there. So, okay. Okay. And you're how old right now? 43. I'm 43. Mm-hmm. Certainly if um, you start new relationships, it's wise to continue to get pap smears, but you're also aging out of that game. Oh. Okay. So it's so. So I don't have to. Um, right. Okay. Hmm. Great. I mean, it's, it sounds like it's doable, but I don't want to over. I don't want to overdo it if it's not necessary. Okay. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay. So, um, anything I can do to prepare myself for just the general STD screening process that you know of? It sounds like it's really kind of no big deal, but... um, It's absolutely no big deal. 
Okay. <laughs> the only okay. thing that I would say is, you know, just if they suggest that they're going to do anything, anything other than what you think they're going to do, just say no. Okay. Just say no. It's um, fine to say no. It's not a problem to say no. I get, you know, I'm glad. Thank you for saying that. I I feel sometimes this fear of saying no when I'm in a doctor's office, so I sort of avoid the doctor's office. Yes. But really, I can just say no. Say no thanks. Or maybe even no. uh, not right now or let me think about it if I really have trouble saying no. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay. 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 Wonderful. Thank you All very right. much. Thanks for your call. Bye-bye. 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 All right. And it looks like we have one more caller that has pressed one with the question. And you've dialed in from the 559 area code. From the 559, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. This is Eliani. Hi, Eliani. How are you tonight? Good. How are you? Ah, Just fine. Oh goody. Um that's wow. I I'm amazed because I was going to call in and ask about pap smears. Isn't that interesting? It is so interesting and uh, so um it's been about 10 years for me since I had one. I'm 32 and I was thinking about scheduling one. Well, my 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 nurse practitioner, she asked me every single time I talked to her about scheduling one. And for some reason this time I was like, yeah, let's do it. And then so I was reading it down there to get myself ready for it. And so I feel like I have an understanding of what it is and I and um that it's pretty non-invasive it's not invasive really and but the i think the only issue is that it can lead to a lot of of like inquiries that may not be necessary it is is this exactly. an accurate understanding okay whenever okay whenever we test someone mm-hmm. for something that they don't have. Right. So the STDs, she's not likely to get a false positive, but you could pretty easily get a false positive on whether or not there's cervical abnormalities. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. And then in pursuing that, often what is done is that a hunk of the cervix is taken as a biopsy, and that can mm-hmm. have repercussions. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the reasons why, if it seems reasonable, we encourage women not to have that biopsy, but to see if they can wait six months, get another pap smear, and see if they can change that. Mm-hmm. So, again, the important thing about getting ready to go is getting your no together. Yeah. Uh-huh. So that you're yeah. prepared uh-huh. if you're told, well, we think you should do this, that, or the other thing, that you're prepared to say, at the very least, let me think about it. I'm not going to say yes right now. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. And you're in a different age group than the previous mm-hmm. woman was. And so you're mm-hmm. in the age group where we're seeing that it's helpful for women to have pap mm-hmm. smears every year or two, depending on their partnered status. Mm-hmm. Women in their 30s in a relationship with a partner that's not changing usually every other year works fine for a pap smear. Okay. If it isn't that situation, every year, probably a safer thing. But again, it will depend on the individual woman and her sense of what she really needs in her life. One of the things that Barbara Ehrenreich talks about in natural causes is the whole instituting of the annual physical and that there's absolutely no evidence of any kind that people who go for annual physicals are healthier or live longer hmm. but they are big money makers right mm-hmm. so I know you for a person who takes care of herself, pays attention to herself, eats well. Thanks for the lemons. Love them. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And isn't afraid to go for a walk, shall we say? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I often remind people, of, you know, the conversation that we had a, a couple of, of calls ago, which is you can't really blame doctors for the people that they're treating. On the other hand, you cannot expect mm. a doctor to recognize a healthy person because they don't frequently see them. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm. So as a healthy person who is maintaining a healthy lifestyle, you become the anomaly Mhm. <laughs> and that means that much of the advice that's given for people doesn't apply well to you. In terms of so-called preventative health care. Mm-hmm. You got a very clear message from your body to do this. Good, mm-hmm. you're doing it. That's that's mm-hmm. the thing to do. Follow through mm-hmm. on that. Let your body know you're paying attention, and yes, it wants something, you're going to provide it. Yeah. Right. <sighs> okay, and, um, and down there it says don't have one if you're menstruating, and that's that's the case, right? 
Oh, that's absolutely true, yeah. Right, okay, so and just wait and do it yeah. later. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Oh, thank you. And Susan, I got my New Year's um, letter from you today. Well, I just found it in my mail, and it's. I just love getting that from you. Thank you so much for sending those out. You are so welcome. Green blessings. Green blessings. Have a good, good night. night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Well, yeah. Like yeah. I bet Eagle Song is with us. She is indeed. Yeah. And she's an herbalist, a gardener, and a hawthorn whisperer. Eagle Song Gardener is alive in her curiosity and exploration of the deep medicine found where people, plants, and earth connect, whether traveling the world designing and tending high-visibility herb restaurant and healing or therapeutic gardens, small farming, or watching her home place, Ravencroft Garden, grow and transform over three decades. Eagle Song finds the magic and medicine in the human-earth connection changes people, plants, and place in amazing ways. People are learning from the plants. And as I said before, Eagle Song is just back from the generative genius of Hawthorne in Mexico. What allure do plants emanate that sends people around the planet in search of them? You will find out what she discovered tracking Crataegus Mexicana. Welcome, Eagle Song. Hey, Susan. Uh, hey. Good to be here. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Susan. Um, let's go. <laughs> let's go. Let's see. I have where where did I put it? I have a little tin here of Hawthorne leather. Oh right. A beautiful purple tin of Hawthorne leather. Yeah, yeah. It contains haw fruit and flower, hibiscus vinegar, honey, and hard seeds beware. Yeah, those seeds are hard to get out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the first thing was that it's one of those tins that you can't tell what's the top and what's the bottom until I realized that the reason it wouldn't open was that I was trying to take the bottom off. Uh Aha, right, right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I know the last thing I sent you, you had to unscrew, and it was difficult. I didn't think that What can I say? I'm just, you know, challenged when it comes to containers. (laughs) I hear you. <laughs> but the Hawthorne leather is great. Did you do it in a dehydrator? I did. I did do it Yum. in a dehydrator. And so it's true. Is it hibiscus it's infusion one. that you used with it? No. Well, yes and no. It's it's a long process in the Hawthorne um, saga. It's like I've been learning so much from this tree and from the fruits of the trees. And, you know, I've been to six countries now really investigating Hawthorne and how people in different parts of the world um, bring Hawthorne into their lives or into their landscapes or just, you know, just how it is in the world. It isn't even, a lot of it isn't even about people for me anymore. (laughs) It's, it's, it's it's like, to me, it's it's a true apprenticeship because when you apprentice yourself to something, then that thing, whatever it is, 
really sets the rhythm and pace of your learning. And so um, this this genus, Protagus, which I have come to call the generative genius because she is so well placed around the planet. Well, in the northern latitude. I don't know any place below the equator yet that hawthorns grow that they weren't brought there from the northern latitude. But all the way around the northern part of the planet, this tree exists just almost invisibly. A real wise woman healer she is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like tough as nails and you can't ever see her. But um, <laughs> so, so the leather, let's go back to the leather because um, it's a tedious thing to make the leather. But also part of my understanding of the world and my place in it is to not waste things. But as a gardener, I realize there is no such thing as waste once we understand how to decompose whatever we're working with. Although there was a tremendous amount of hawthorn fruit left after I drained out all of the vinegar and honey from the um, oxymel. You know, I've tossed it to the chickens now and again, even given it to the goats. But I said, there's just too much goodness here to... um, to, to lose when we might turn it into something else. And and then the, the idea of leather hit me, and I actually added, I made a infusion of hibiscus and added that to the drained uh, fruits of the hawthorn and then simmered that together until the hawthorn fruit broke down more and more. And... When it was time to send it through the sieve, the flowers of the hibiscus had cooked down into a really nice, soft, um, textured addition. So the fruit and the flowers just went through the sieve together. So the fruit uh, or the flowers of the hibiscus are in that leather. But not really, because although it says hibiscus flowers, it's the calyx. Yes, technically, botanically speaking, it is the calyx and not the petals of the flower of of the hibiscus. And and really, they're quite uh, fleshy. Very. And a lot. Much more so than the flower. The flower is like really like, like most hibiscus, it's just just there for a day. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. So these these calyx and the fruits together make this um, quite um, substantial uh, paste. Yeah. So when I saw that, it was like, whoa, I could just spread this out on those nice little sheets and pop them in the dehydrator. And the result was so incredibly tasty. It's just really fun. I would never, ever think of selling it. But <laughs> you know, my grandkids really like them. I really like them. And, I really and like really, I <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. But, you know, it's that place of food and medicine. And and the high Hawthorne has really given me some great um, opportunities to see the danger when we start thinking about food and putting it into the Western idea of what is medicine. It's It's just, 
Well, today, as an example, and it'll get us back to Mexico, I was in my idea that the Mexican hawthorns are big. They're anywhere from an inch to two inches across. And they're very fleshy. They have an interesting texture. I think of it as pudding, that um, that they... They're really solid and dense, but they're they're in another way they're they're soft, and mm. so it, it's a quite a a strange textured fruit, maybe somewhat like a medlar, if you knew a medlar. Or breadfruit. Um, yeah, I don't know the breadfruit enough to say so, but but interesting. Yeah. So anyway, my my brain, because everybody wants to know. Um, you know, what was the best way to make it into medicine? I mean, are you going to tincture it? I get all these questions, and it's so great. It's like I really, really resisted tincturing. I didn't want to tincture because they are like little apples. They're not mm-hmm. like the little berry-like fruits that we have in the Northmore. And so so I finally overcame my resistance, which, as you well know, is not always an easy thing. And um, and I cut them up any of us. in a jar. Yeah, for sure. I put them in a jar and um, poured over 100-proof vodka. And, you know, there was this part of me, this voice saying, well, you should just go ahead and put some cinnamon in there and maybe a little polonsio, which is a dehydrated sugar cane juice. And, <laughs> and I just said, nope, nope, you cannot start doing that until you actually know what a tincture of the tejocote, which is the Spanish word for um, the the hawthorn fruit, tejocote. You have to know what it's like simple before you can start adding all kinds of stuff to it. (laughs) And so I was actually blown away. Within an hour, the the fluid was just the most gorgeous orange. (gasps) Wow. I I really didn't expect to see anything change. And so it was one of those... I've come to appreciate the statement that I am just somewhat taken aback by the poverty of my own imagination. (laughs) You know, it's like going to Mexico. Um, I had in my mind what I thought would happen, and I certainly had a list of things I had um, would like to have happen, which, by the way, all of them did, plus. And it's that plus part that helps me to understand the poverty of my imagination. Because every time I set myself to something, and this whole idea of going to Mexico to to see the Hawthorne started several years ago when my, um, my adopted sister, Blanca, from Puebla, Mexico, taught me how to make um, ponche, which is a punch that's made and drunk all winter in most... Um, Latin American countries and so it's a fruit punch and so so I got really enamored by this when I found out I didn't even know what was in Ponche until I went to the Mexican tienda of which we have three in our town plus two snack bars and three taco trucks so I don't even have to go to Mexico I can just go downtown and have a Mexican experience and and so, so well, you're pretty far north of Mexico too. Yeah, I'm in Washington State, so I was it's say, like away. 1,200 miles, 1,400 miles, at least, at least. So it's very fun. You know, I can get fresh teacote now right here in town because there's so many people here that would buy it. Wow. And, and 
I know, right? So I went and bought a couple pounds and brought it home. I I didn't um, – I actually thought about bringing some across the border. At one point in time, get this, the Mexican hawthorn, uh, Mexican – Crataegus mexicana was the second most – um, confiscated plant at the border in California. You can imagine what the fu- the first. We well, know what the first one was. <laughs> yeah. Well, this was the second. This tells you how important this this fruit is to the people. But they don't think about it like that. They just think like we think about their own little apples on the side of the road. Um, but every market when I was there, and I got there, I got to the place I wanted to go, which was kind of the epicenter of Tejacote production, a little town called Calpan, which basically um, has a uh, feria, which is a fair de- dedicated to the Tejacote fruit in November every year. And we tried everything we could to find out when it was going to be and there was never any response, you know. It's like, so we just kind of shot for one weekend in in, um, in November, and it happened to be the very right weekend. It was Yay! the fair. <laughs> I know. And, and the fruits, the trees were in full fruit. And <laughs> everywhere you would go, there would be these little orange fruits hanging off of these trees. But what's even more exciting was the way the trees were planted and that the corn was between the trees and the squash was below the corn. It was all there. It was all what I wanted to see in person um, because I'm very fascinated by the idea of milpa, which is the, well, actually it's the wise woman way of, of living in the world. You just plant your food and and your medicine all around you so that you have it when you need it. And and there's not this great separation between food and medicine. The whole conversation that was happening earlier but about going to get tests, you know, I have resisted any kind of interaction with the medical profession in my life, and sometimes to my detriment, I might add. But for the most part, I really had to learn to trust my body and learn about my body. And so so there I am in Mexico, and the hawthorns are on the trees, and it's very festive, and people make that hawthorn fruit into all kinds of uh, marmalades and pulque, which is a fermented beverage, a short one like beer, like we would make beer. And, um, and it was all underneath this amazing volcano. <laughs> and then... Because, you know, you, there's the Internet, so I can actually kind of take these fantasy uh, journeys before I ever get somewhere. There was a horse uh, riding, horseback riding opportunity right by the volcano, right in the middle of the Tejacote fields. And it was like, so I was there in Mexico. See the the poverty of my imagination. It was so beautiful riding on a horse through the Milpa and seeing all these things happening at a very slow pace. Yes. And honestly, I have come to appreciate the slowness of my personal pace because it takes a certain quality of slowness to be a gardener. And especially if you're growing trees that don't even fruit for 20 years. <laughs> That's true, huh? <laughs> Whoa! So well, 
it caused me a lot of frustration in my life, this slowness in a lot of ways. I've realized that as long as I can just honor my pace and understand my process, that I am fine most of the time. Well, a lot of people like to think that I'm not. <laughs> so, yeah, so what is That is really priceless to be able to honor your own pace, especially when your pace is slower than what people are pushing you to be. Yes, exactly, which definitely will make people sick. So, and I do appreciate, though, having... um, like mentors who really can poke you in just the right way so that you can actually get it together and do something that might also be really helpful. But but honoring my, my pace, and maybe it's just because I've turned 71, so of course my life and my pace are allowed a little more grace in, yes. in a culture that goes fast. And so, so all very interesting, you know. But really, Mexico was wonderful. The other thing that was really beautiful, because I really needed to get out last year and see the world, and and that entailed going to England for three weeks, going to Mexico for three weeks, and driving 10,000 miles in the western United States teaching at herb conferences. And, yes, most of the teaching was about Hawthorne. <laughs> but of course, <laughs> fantastic about it, Susan, because I drove during the uh, bloom season for Hawthorne, and honestly, you know, I say to people, "Oh, it grows everywhere," but honestly, driving ten thousand miles around the United States, the Western United States, from California to Colorado to Wisconsin and back to Seattle, I saw so much blooming Hawthorne. I was just taken aback. Wow. Beautiful cultivars of all kinds of pink colors and different kinds of flower arrangements. You know, I tell people there's over 2,000 kinds of hawthorn, and everybody wants it to only be 200. But from my experience in my travels, I'm going with the 2,000. And I haven't even made it to Iran, China, Kyrgyzstan, any of those countries where any hawthorn of those- really... And right. so, yeah, they're going to be all over because Hawthorne has this quality about herself that I think is quite incredible, and that is that she's apomectic. And that's a botanical term that means that the Hawthorne, the Critagus, can create a new species without cross-pollinating. <laughs> now, don't you think that there should be something that we could do Take, eat, that would help us become a new species on the planet? Why not go to the guy who knows how to do it? (laughs) (laughs) And isn't it it going to be like, um, isn't it going to take a lot of heart to actually make that leap? Because we have to leap across an amazing abyss to come into the belief that, that, the world is really different than we've learned it to be so far. Mm. So I'm going with the Golden Girl. I'm going with the Hawthorns as my uh, guide, and um, I, now I'm on the track. It's like I'm already starting to figure out how can I get to China? And so it's become this incredible adventure. 
And I think what I see around me and people that they they their adventure is what's wrong with them. You know, the old folks get together and they talk about this thing wrong with them and that thing wrong with them, and 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 I realize, oh my goodness, we got to start early. It's a good idea if you can. But um, I was really inspired to go to Mexico this year, even though all the horrible stories about how awful it might be there, it wasn't. Just so everyone knows, it was really, really great. The people were incredibly friendly. I got a head cold really sick, and the the Mexican grandmas just showed up out of nowhere and brought me, like, bone broth, chicken broth with little tiny zucchini bits in it and, and, and ponche because – or lemon tree leaf, another one brought me that. And here these women were, we had made friends, and they just, like, brought me things because I wasn't feeling well. Wow. (laughs) And I didn't have to uh, resort to any testing or anything. I just had this amazing world of grandmothers that were willing, and and it was wonderful, wonderful. Wow. Wow. I know. So... So it's I don't know that was a little sidetrack there, but but those grandmas were great and they were just so kind to me and um, you know so anyway Mexico was very friendly um, it wasn't dangerous or awful I even drove and um, quite loved driving there because they have these horrific things called topes topes it's a big speed bump they make them pretty high. And, boy, if you hit one of those and you didn't know it was coming, you would hit the top of the car with your head. And so Ow. A, yeah, right? Right? So everyone goes really slow, especially on the back roads, because you don't ever know where the topies are going to be. And I thought, that is so great. They're all slowing down, so I don't feel so bad. Right. <laughs> Yep, yep. And still there were places and a lot of places that I went where there were horse-drawn wagons, and I was right on with them. Those are the people I want to be on your wagon. (laughs) You know, it occurs to me that perhaps not every single person listening knows how Hawthorne is used and why you're talking about taking a leap and having heart. So maybe... Just spend a couple of minutes talking about your favorite uses of Hawthorne. Oh, that's like asking, who's your favorite child? I know. But I said you said, so you get to to include all your children. I like, okay, there's tea. I really enjoy drinking Hawthorne tea with the fruit that I actually decoct or uh, brew in a thermos overnight so it has time to get into the to the liquid, the fruit. We use hawthorn leaf and flower for tea as well. It's a little astringent like black tea, so I don't make it very strong. I just make it like I would make a cup of black tea with that herb. I like oxymil, sipping vinegar, um, a tincture. I I make tincture uh, out of, we have several hawthorns that grow in the valley where I live, and I use them for tincture making, and I like to freeze the fruit and dry the fruit and then put those, make separate tinctures out of frozen and dried, and then I mix that together. It's sort of um, exciting. <laughs> it really does feel like a laboratory. But it's just that thing. People get creative, you know, once you start using things. And I really appreciate simpling, like making uh, each 
different kind of Hawthorne simple before I started mixing it all up. Because I really think we're coming to a, a new time in herbalism. I don't even like the word ism, but with herbs, learning with herbs as people, we're getting way more refined. You know, we're really starting to pay attention to plants as plants and less attention. Well, no, there's just as much attention as plants that are good for this and that. But we're really starting to look at plants. And some people are actually asking them, like, how do we help you? How do we, it isn't even about helping. How do we live with you? on this planet in such ways that we actually become the medicine. (laughs) Good question. Yeah, isn't it? It's going to take the rest of my life with that one. (laughs) Because, you see, it set me off on a track when someone asked me, what's it good for? And and I couldn't ever come up with the right answer. And, And I realized because there isn't a right answer. It's like when people want to know what is, how can I identify Hawthorne where I live? And it's like, it's kind of like saying, how do you identify where you are? <laughs> They're all different. There's big ones, tall ones, short ones, fat ones, skinny ones, big fruit, small fruit, red fruit, orange fruit. Right, they all have thorns. Not always. No. Not always. No, there are. No, how can there be a half thorn without thorns? Well, that's a, it was probably a cultivar. <laughs> but someone had to find one that didn't have as much thorn, and then they carried it forward. And so okay. there's that whole history of people and plants that becomes very fascinating. Pretty soon there's no time to be sick. Exactly. <laughs> I have so a, busy now. I have a thornless wild rose growing here. Uh-huh. Yeah. A just, thornless it just wild happened. Rose. It just a sport. Well, and although I'm pretty tough on the wild roses, I let that one grow. I like thornless. Okay. The reason I'm so tough on them is because they're so tough on me, you know. Exactly. That is exactly <laughs> right. I know. I, I loved it when someone called you and I a, a prickly pear. <laughs> and by the way, for those of you who aren't already making the connection, Crataegus hawthorn is a genus in the Rosaceae family. Hawthorn yes. is. In the Rose family. (laughs) See, you can always rely on somebody to bring people back to reality. (laughs) It's it's an amazing tree. And I've learned so much by um, spending so much time with this tree. I've learned a lot about myself. I've learned a lot about the world we live in. Um, And right now, it all started because there's amazing variety of, of Hawthorne in the valley where I live. And actually, everyone who where it lives, they don't notice it. They don't see it. It's actually a invasive plant, and they're encouraged to poison it. But I'll be doing talks with the the fruit, the local fruit society, to bring Hawthorne into their understanding. We're doing a tasting at a local restaurant of the Hawthorne products that I make to get people more engaged with where we live and see that. Really, the medicine is all around us all the time and and cultivating a way of seeing the world differently i think is is the part i I love so much that th- this tree has taught me <clears throat> and she's, yes, she yes, is the, tough. The, the numbers are staggering. I may not have of them what? exact right, but there's something like over ten thousand different edible 
foods on the planet, uh-huh. of which most people consume less than 200. Right. And more like 90% of the food supply is supplied by five plants. Got to change that. The plants Ooh. want us to get out there and eat them. Yes. And it's, you know, in Costa Rica alone, there are hundreds of different fruits. And, of course, the difficulty with many of these things is they're not commercially viable. But exactly what you're doing, which is saying, it doesn't have to be commercially viable or exactly the same. It's just whatever Hawthorne's growing by you. It's okay. Yeah. That's one of the best um, learnings from her. And and then we can start talking with one another about the, the beauty of the Hawthorne where we live, and we'll be able to then differentiate and discern Hawthorns that are more specific for certain, um, well, I don't even want to think like that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I just want people to um, become more self-reliant, to learn how to use your own senses to understand the plants, not what the books say, not what the um, what the device in your hand says, but really use your nose, use your taste buds, use the way it feels against your skin. Those are the things that I think um, I love to teach people. That's what, what we focus on is more the experiential interface between people and plants. And when you add the earth, really, Susan, magic happens. Once we get rooted back in the earth, in our quest for plant knowledge, then we will get different information coming from the plants. Then we do get different information. I've been doing this for over 40 years, and it just gets better and better. Not Doesn't it though? Oh, my goodness. What it's a wonderful, matter. wonderful <laughs> vocation to have, the vocation of connecting people and plants, because it does just gets better and better. Uh, for yeah. the past couple of weeks, I've been reading Kathy Cavill's monograph on motherwort, which is just mind-blowing. I don't know if you saw it. It was in the American Herbal Association newsletter. It. it was, I think it was the summer, summer-fall newsletter, mm-hmm. one just mm-hmm. back from now. And she just, you know, I mean, like, the motherwort is effective against pancreatic cancer. Wow. Okay, this is cell lines in the laboratory. We're not talking about people. But still, mm-hmm. uh-huh. it's pretty And I know. I, you know, I read this article, I'm like, my gosh, I have worked with motherwort for decades. And look at all these this new ways of thinking about it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And the connection yeah, I had a great is that motherwort and Hawthorne, adventure. motherwort and Hawthorne are wonderful herbs for helping maintain yeah. a strong heart as you age. Yes. Exactly, a good a good ally for an aging heart, and um, really beautiful uh, work that Kathy's doing out there in California. Magnificent, mm-hmm. and your work to tell people how to get in touch with you, please, Eagle Song. Oh, I already, oh yeah, my best the best way to get in touch with me is through the eaglesong-gardener dot com website. The website is up, and we're taking princesses, and new things are happening this year. Definitely the gardens are doing great. So eaglesong-gardener.com. If you live at a distance, we actually have an online option for learning called herbwisewomen.com. 
And that way, we have a community online of women all the way from Florida to Alaska. And it's a, it's a lot of fun to get on there with women and talk about these plants because that's um, what we like to do. <laughs> yes. Oh, how wonderful. Oh, thank you so much. You know that I envision that we are reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients. And one of the things that I appreciate is that our threads have been going back and forth, weaving Mm. around and through and in and out of each other for such a long time. We have seen so many changes and adventures in both of our lives. (laughs) Right. And yet there's some big challenges. All kinds of things, and there, there are. Nonetheless, there's this pattern. There's this weaving. There's mm. this cloak, this healing cloak that holds yep. us both securely together through yep. all of those changes, so that we can meet heart to heart and share yep. all the wonders of people and plants. Thank you so much. Yep. I love you so much. And, yes, Eagle Song is going to be presenting at the Hypericum Conference as well. She's not a one herb girl. She works with other herbs besides Hawthorne. It's true. It is so true. And I'm so looking forward to that conference. And thank you, Susan, for holding the place for Herbs Are People's Medicine for us so long. It's like I really appreciate that. You are welcome. And you and me and Sarah Ellen and everybody leaving, yes, we are really making a difference. We are reclaiming herbal medicine as people's medicine. Ah, life is fun. (laughs) It is. (laughs) To be continued, everybody. Green blessings. Bye-bye. Bye. Good night. Good night.